hope you have your Bibles this morning. I want to invite you to join me in Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter 10. If you're our guest today, we've been walking through this letter to the church at Rome for a season now, and we find ourselves in chapter number 10. Again, if you're our guest today, I think it's important you understand the contextual aspect of this text. When you look at this passage, you see that this letter to the church at Rome can be divided into four parts. Uh, it can be divided, first of all, into the part of condemnation. Paul begins this letter by talking about how the world is condemned before God. This occurred in the Garden of Eden when man sinned. A curse was placed upon this earth and man died. And through that death, everyone is condemned. Everyone stands before God in a position of condemnation. He deals with this first in chapter 1, and he goes all the way to chapter 3, around in verse 20. And then he switches gears a little bit, and he goes to the second topic. The second topic that he addresses is the topic of salvation. Paul wants the church at Rome to clearly understand that there are three aspects in, in, in salvation that are so vitally important to the life of a believer. That first part is justification. He shares very openly and very honestly about the area of justification, that how you have come to Christ by faith, and God has declared you righteous before the throne of God. And he talks about not only justification, but also sanctification. That is your holiness. In chapters 6 and 7, he's addressed the fact that we've been separated uh, by God as a Christian, and now we're on this journey to what Paul calls holiness. We're walking in this area of holiness, growing closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And then in chapter number 8, Paul talks about this issue of preservation. If God does the saving, he does the keeping. And we are preserved and safe in the hands of Jesus Christ concerning our salvation. And then he transitions to a third part, as we've seen in chapter number 9. In chapter 9, Paul begins to talk about this issue of vindication. Not that God needs vindicating, but Paul wants the world to clearly understand, especially the church at Rome here, that God has not failed in his plan of salvation. You see, the church at Rome, they really thought that God had replaced the promises and the blessings that God had given to Israel he thought that they had replaced them, the church did, on the church. And he thought that God, the church thought that God was done with the children of Israel. And Paul comes through and says, no, God's not done with the children of Israel. God's desire is that the whole world be saved. We find that again in 1 Timothy where Paul communicates very clearly the desire of his heart is that everyone be saved. As a matter of fact, when you find yourselves in Romans chapter number 9, we've talked about this before, in Romans chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, Paul actually introduces the, the nation of Israel and how God is going to deal with them in their past, how God dealt with them in the past, how God's going to deal with them in the present, that's chapter 10, and how God's going to deal with them in the future. And when you look at the overarching theme of chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, Paul is clearly communicating that there is the sovereignty of God in chapter 9. That is clear to see. In fact, Paul says, in relationship to God's dealing with the children of Israel, God dealt with the children of Israel in relationship to the past through His sovereignty. You can't question it. Uh, you can't change it. God is God. He's going to do whatever He needs to do in order to get Jesus to this earth. And the plan that God wanted to use to get Jesus here was that through the Jewish nation. Jesus was 
a Jew. As a matter of fact, notice the introduction to the children of Israel in chapter, number, in chapter 8, in verse number 28. Paul says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to His purpose. Now, remember, Paul has just talked about this issue uh, of the challenges and struggles that we go through as born-again children of God. One of the most dangerous teachings that have occurred in our culture today is this prosperity gospel that says when you come to Jesus Christ, all your cares and worries and concerns, everything just disappears. Brothers and sisters, I've got news for you. When you come to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, especially in 2023, you will be more persecuted for your faith than ever before. You'll be judged. People will think you're strange. You still may uh, contract cancer. Your family's still going to die. You're still going to have difficulties. You're going to have a hard time. We must remember, as we live on this planet, as Christians, this earth is cursed. It's cursed. And the curse will not be lifted until Jesus returns. And we find here in the text, he says, Look, we understand that all the things we go through, they are going to work together for the good uh, of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Verse 29, he says, For. The word for there in the text means we have this as an example. We have an example. What's the example, Paul? He says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now stop right there. Because we have some major difficulties in our culture today, especially in religious cultures, that want to take verse 29 out of its context and make it a pretext and talk about how God is omnideterministic. Brothers and sisters, listen to me very clearly. When you read the scriptures, when you see the context, you see that God is omniscient. He knows everything. Does He know who's going to be saved? Yes. Does He know who's not going to be saved? Yes, he's omniscient. He knows everything. Not only is God omniscient, he's omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God has all the power within him. He is omniscient, but he is also omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. But let me tell you one thing that God does not operate on, and that is omnideterminism. He is not omnideterministic. God does not predestine some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. Say, how could you say such a thing? In the context of Scripture, time and time and time and time again, Paul and others say that it is God's desire that everyone be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. He is omniscient. Does he know who's going to be saved? Yes, but he's not omnideterministic. His love is consistent with his character. God does not say, I love you, but I hate you. No, God says he loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. As a matter of fact, Paul deals with this over in 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 before we get into the text today. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Notice what Paul says in chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1. He says, I exalt, therefore, that the first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. You know that word all there? 
That word all means all. That's all all means. If the Bible says all men, he's talking about all men. All nations, all tongues, all tribes, everybody. He goes on to say this in specificity. He says for kings and for all that are in authority. You know what that means? We need to pray for our president. Lord knows he needs it. Could I get an amen right there? All right, look at what the scripture says. He says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Here it is. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for some, no, for all, to be testified in due time. Jesus died for everyone. And whosoever will can come to Jesus. Paul deals in relationship to this issue of Israel and God's dealing with Israel's past. He says God dealt with Israel in, in relationship to their sovereignty. So preacher, where do, you, where do you get that? Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, in verse number 2, God says this. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. You see that word foreknew there? That word foreknew is tied directly to chapter 8, verse number 29. The Bible says, for whom he did foreknow. Chapter 11 says the foreknowledge is in dealing with the children of Israel. Contextually, Paul is talking about Israel. He says, Israel, God foreknew them. He predestinated them to be conformed into the image of his son. Jesus was a Jew. Go on. What does the Bible say? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, when he did predestinate the Jewish people, to them he also called. So he says this, and Paul makes mention of this in chapter number 9. He says, not all Jews, not all Jews are those that God used to get Jesus here. He says, so not everybody that come from Abraham is the promised seed of Abraham. No, he says, look, in relationship to getting Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to this earth, God chose the Jewish nation, he predestined them, he called them so that Jesus might be the firstborn of many brethren and whom he, predest and whom he uh, predestinated, he also called them Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah. He called these guys throughout the history to bring about Jesus. And the Bible goes on to say, when he called them, he also justified them. What does that mean? That means God declared those Old Testament saints righteous. Why? Because they believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. When you look at Abraham's life, Genesis chapter 15, the Bible says that Abraham believed God by faith. He's had the same faith that we have when we trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. And then watch this. He says not only did he, did he call them, he also justified them. And he justified them, he also glorified them. Where are those Old Testament saints today if they're glorified? They're in heaven. They're in heaven. And so Paul very eloquently in chapter number 8, going into chapter number 9, says God deals with Israel on the basis of his sovereignty. And the question is asked in chapter 9, well, does that mean that, that God failed in his promise since Israel has rejected Jesus the Messiah? And, Abraham, and, and, and Paul says, no, God forbid. Because when you look at the coin of soteriology, 
That is, when you look at the coin of salvation, if salvation were a coin, that coin has two sides. It has a head and it has a tail. And in relationship to salvation, if salvation was a coin, the first side of the coin would be God's sovereignty. He got Jesus here through the nation of Israel. But on the other side of that coin, you have the responsibility of man. Man is responsible to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a story. It's not intended to be a joke, but it's intended to just be a simple illustration regarding of who God is. There was a man, and he lived next to a river that flooded often. And on one particular occasion, there was a terrible uh, drenching rain, and the water came over the edge of that river and began to flood the town. Jeeps began to go up and down the road, calling people to get out and to evacuate. But one elderly gentleman that had been living there his whole life was standing there on the porch as the waters began to rise higher and higher. The man pulled up in the Jeep and said, Sir, it's time to evacuate. I need you to get in the Jeep. You're going to die. And the man looked and said, No, don't you worry about me, son. I'm going to be okay. God's going to take care of me. And the man drove off. Several hours later, the water had risen on the first floor, and now the man was standing in the window of the second floor. A boat came by, and the man driving the boat said, Sir, the waters are getting higher. Your life is in danger. You're going to die. Get in the boat. It is time to evacuate. The man said, No, I'm a believer. I have faith. God is going to take care of me. The waters rose. And as the waters got higher, the man found himself on top of his house. And as he's on top of his house, a helicopter came by. And the helicopter dropped the rope and said, Sir, grab the rope. You've got to go to safety. The water is not going to stop rising. You must get in the helicopter. You must let us take you to safety. To which the man said, No, go ahead. Save somebody else. God's going to take care of me. I have faith. To which the waters rose again, swept the man off the roof. The man drowned and died. He was standing before God, and he looked at God in a bereaved face and a, a curious question. He said, why, God? Why? I had faith. I just knew that you were going to save me. And God says, what did you expect? I sent you a jeep, a boat, and a helicopter. Brothers and sisters, the same is true in relationship to salvation. God has provided the means of salvation through His sovereignty. That is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And it is our responsibility to respond to that. And when you approach chapter number 10, you see very clearly that Paul is going to talk about God's dealing with Israel in the present. And God deals with Israel in the present the exact same way He deals with every nation on this planet. He makes no national difference at all in the fact that in this dispensation, it, is, and it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, the only way to get to God, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. You must come by faith. And this is Paul's desire for his people. This passage of Scripture can be divided up into three parts. The first part is found in verses 1 through 4. 
The second part is found in verses 5 through 15. And the third part is found in verses 16 through 21. This morning, I only want us to look at the first part, the first four verses. In thinking about the human responsibility of man, we cannot ignore the fact that Paul says in the first four verses that Jesus has been revealed. We see Jesus revealed. Notice what the Bible says beginning in chapter 10, verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. When you approach these first four verses of chapter 10, and you think about the exercise of human responsibility, Paul first of all communicates three truths in this text. Number one, the first thing he talks about is Israel's present condition. Israel's present condition. Did you see that in verse number one? In verse number one, Paul is very clear about Israel's present condition. He says in the text, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for, is for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, there's a couple of words that are worthy of our attention. So if you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would take them out and I'd mark in our Bibles. The first thing I want you to see is the term brethren. You see the term brethren? Remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the church at Rome. And as he's speaking to the church at Rome, the church at Rome has an endorsed and accepted replacement theology. And Paul is coming alongside the church and going, look, this is not right. You can't, you can't accept this. You can't have this. God is not done with His people. God deals with Israel the same way He deals with the Gentile nations. That is, that they must be saved. They've got to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. As a matter of fact, you see Paul's heart in chapter 9 in verses 1, 2, and 3. Did you see what he says in the text? He says in chapter 9, verse 1, He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I wish, or I, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul simply says, if I could go to hell in order for my nation to go to heaven, I'd do it. He says, but I can't. Why? Because the desire of my heart, Paul says in chapter 10, is that, that Israel would be saved just like the Gentiles are saved. Say, so how do you get that? Notice what the Bible says in chapter 9, verse number 30. Notice the text. Chapter 9, verse 30. The greatest commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God. Notice what he says. Paul says, what shall we say then? that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have obtained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith. Paul simply says this. Paul says, you Gentiles, you have come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord by faith. By faith you have trusted Christ. You have been justified. You have been sanctified. You've been preserved in Jesus Christ. But, he says, verse 31, Israel 
which followed after the law of righteousness, that is the law of Moses. They said, we're going to obtain righteousness by following the law. We're going to obey the Ten Commandments. We're going to come up with all these laws. We're going to obey them. We're going to be right before God. But the whole time God has said that the, the, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to repentance that we might look into the mirror of the law and see that we cannot obtain it. We cannot keep the law. By our very nature, we're sinners. And we find ourselves in a cursed position, separated from God. And the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not obtained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Why? Why is this? Verse 32, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I say, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now you see the word him there? That means the stumbling stone was a person. Who was the stumbling stone that Paul is writing about? Jesus Christ. Israel has rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They are still looking for the Messiah. They're still waiting on the Messiah. And the Gentiles, who were just pagans, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and said, We believe! We believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And as our belief by faith in Jesus Christ God says, I have justified them. I have declared them righteous by their faith. It's the same faith Abraham had. It's the same faith Isaac had. It's the same faith Jacob had. It's the same faith that we find, as a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter number 11. Turn over to Hebrews 11, if you would. I want you to notice this very quickly. <clears throat> notice Hebrews chapter number 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is so important. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, to the Jewish people. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, I have some speculations as to who I believe wrote it. it doesn't, uh, it's not uh, uh, vitally important in understanding who wrote the book of Hebrews. But what is important is to know that Jesus Christ is the author of the Word of God and that he wrote the book and used a human agent to write this. But he wanted this human agent, whoever it was, to communicate the importance of faith. Chapter number 11, notice what the Bible says, verse number 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Uh, verse 11, through faith, also Sarah. Verse number 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. Uh, and, and you can keep going on and on and on as he continues to talk about the faith of Moses. Where the Bible says, by faith, he forsook Egypt. Through faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. And then the last one, verse 31, by faith, the harlot... Rahab. How important is faith? A whole chapter is given to it. You can't be saved unless you have faith. And you can't have faith 
unless you exercise it and put it in Jesus Christ. So we see first and foremost Israel's present condition. Would to God that you and I, be, may we be as concerned for lost people as Paul is concerned for lost people. Paul clearly understands that the children of Israel are going to die and go to hell unless they receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And so he says, brethren, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Israel's present condition, they're lost. Number two. The second thing I want you to see is Israel's psychological confusion. Israel's psychological confusion. Look at verse 2 and 3. Notice what the Bible says. He says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, I would underline that word zeal there. They have a zeal for God. What are you talking about, Paul? They have a zeal for God. The word zeal means excitement. It means fierceness. It means indignation. So they have this righteous excitement, this fierce indignation inside of them where they are wanting so desperately to please God. But look at what the Scripture says, but not according to knowledge. What are you talking about there? Paul is talking about through the eons of past times when the prophets were there. And the prophets time and time and time and time again said that Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Although they were zealous for God, they did not think about Jesus being the Messiah. He's just another good person. He's just another good rabbi. He's just another good teacher. What happened to Israel? I think what happened to Israel is the same thing that's happened to us in the United States of America. And that is this. We've become educated far beyond our own intelligence. We're educated idiots. We want to hold to everything but the truth of the Word of God. What's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. What's up is down. What's down is up. We have totally exchanged the faith of our forefathers what this very nation was founded upon, the Judeo-Christian principles of this nation, the United States of America, where we had the primer, where when you went into schools to learn your ABCs, you learned them through the Bible. We had prayer time in schools. We had an occasion where we stood, and it became so important to us at one point in our history that we said, we need to put God in the Pledge of Allegiance. And it seems as though we have reached the pentacle of our love for God. And then we become educated. And we become smart. And through our education, we've decided, well, let's take out the Ten Commandments in our school system. Let, 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 let's, let's take out prayer. Let's take out morals. Let's take out uh, values. Let's take out discipline from the teachers. And In fact, let's do everything that we can to promote a culture where you're number one and you take care of yourself and, 
and climb on as many people as you need to climb on to get as high as you want to go and educate yourself. What is important in this culture is education, education, education. And we wonder why the trades in our culture today are so in deficit. Education has become our God. Professing ourselves to be wise, we became fools. And now we've turned the image of God likened to the image of man, and we have began to worship the creature more than the Creator. And we turn to our culture today and say, well, little boys, little girls, you want you a boy and you want to be a girl, that's fine. We put our stamp of approval on the United States of America with the LGBT community plus whatever else they have. We've said homosexuality is fine. The agenda that continues to be on the horizon of the United States of America is this issue of humanism. Secular humanism has become what we worship today. We won't even take a stand in relationship to the murderous abortions that happen across our land today. And I thank God that we reversed uh, Roe uh, v. Wade. But it's not over yet. It'll be a fight till the very end. And who's the problem? Christians, preachers, pastors that believe the Word of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today, just as Israel, we are living in a day of psychological confusion. And what we need today is a, is a Holy Ghost revival. We need God to move. We need God to burden our hearts. We need God to move in our lives. We need to become so overwhelmed that God's truth is real and His message is real. And we need to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. You heard just a few minutes ago, you heard Pastor Matt come and says, we're going to share the gospel. God, have mercy on churches in Maysville and Pelham and whoever. God, have mercy on us the day we start doing philanthropy and we stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can have fun, we can play, we can, we can do great things and we want to do great things, but the greatest thing we can do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Israel's psychological confusion. We see Israel's present condition, but let me, let me get to the end here. I'm out of time. Paul's final conclusion. Paul's plain conclusion. Verse number four, look at what he says here. Paul says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, there's something that has changed here in Paul's tone. Paul has moved from a position of God's sovereignty in relationship to the blessings and how God has dealt with Israel to get Jesus the Messiah to this planet. He has then said that he wants Israel to be saved, and now he really pinpoints it. I mean, he really gets to the heart of the matter when he says this, 
for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. You cannot please God by doing good works. You cannot please God by partaking in sacraments. You cannot please God by having a list of things that you do or saying a rosary over and over and over again. I know this is hard. I look, again, don't mistake my passion for anger. I'm just telling you, you cannot please God through works. He says Jesus Christ put an end to that. And he says he put an end to it to everyone. You see that word one? That believeth. He says he's put an end to it for the individual that has prayed to receive Christ as the Savior. So Paul, in relationship to this text, says, in conclusion, my conclusion, he says, is simply this. In order for Israel to be saved, they have to do the same things the Gentiles did. Remember, he's speaking to the church at Rome. Church, in order for the Israelites to be saved, Gentiles, they've got to do, Israel's got to do the same thing you did. Trust Jesus Christ by faith. He's not done with them. He hasn't put them on the shelf. Jesus has revealed himself so that Israel would see their present condition, that Israel would not be psychologically confused, and that Israel would come to know Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. I call your attention in closing to Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, again, Paul's talking about justification in this text. And in verses 18 through 25, we really see his hope and desire for Israel. This is a theme that he hasn't shied away from. His, and again, we know the, the Apostle Paul, was he was the preacher to the Gentiles. The Apostle to the Gentiles. But I want you to notice what he says here in the text, in verse number 18. He says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might come and become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be. Now, he's talking about Abraham in this text. And he says when Abraham had no hope at all, he hoped against hope. People said, you're crazy. Abraham, what? God? What? what? He put his faith and hope in God. In verse number 19, And being not weak in faith... He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform, that is God, and therefore, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. That is, God declared, he declared Abraham righteous, imputed that, deposited the Holy Spirit inside of him because of his faith. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Watch this. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if, here's the condition, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. How are we declared righteous? By having faith that God sent His Son Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who lived a sinless life, went to Calvary's cross, took our sins, placed them upon Himself, died, was buried, and on the third day rose again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, that we might have an opportunity to have a relationship with God again. I want to ask you a question today. Today, I might be a Jeep. Say so a Jeep? Yeah, I might be a Jeep. You see, it is absolutely flooding in our culture today. We are drowning in the sea of sin. And the water is rising. Today, I might be a Jeep. And I might be saying to you, get in. Get in the Jeep of Jesus. The floodwaters are coming. You cannot survive. Get in the Jeep. You're going to die. For others, I'm a boat. The water is up to the second story. And I'm yelling and screaming and yelling at you, not, not in anger but in desperation. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. Don't die in this rising tide of sin. Get in the boat. It's the boat of Jesus. For some, I might be a helicopter. And the water is rising. And I'm beseeching you, just as Paul beseeched his people. My heart's desire is that you'd be saved. Get in the helicopter. Don't die in your sins. Don't be separated from God forever. Jesus has revealed himself. He is the Messiah. He died on the cross for your sins. Get in the helicopter. It's the helicopter of Jesus. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. You know, there's another story in the Bible. It's found in Luke chapter 16. It's kind of like the helicopter and the boat and the Jeep story. It's a story of a rich man. And the Bible says the rich man died and he went to hell. And the Bible says there was a poor man named Lazarus who ate from the crumbs of, the, of his master's table. That is, he believed the truth and by faith he was saved. He was in Abraham's bosom, which is a... a is a biblical reference to heaven. And the Bible says that in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes and said, Father Abraham, help me. I'm tormented by this flame. You see, he was separated from God. And in hell, the flames lapped up around him. Abraham says, I can't help you. There's a great gulf between the two of us. I, I, can't, I cannot span the chasm the canyon that's between us. It's too great. And Abraham said, can you just, or the rich man said, could you just dip your finger in water and just flip it over here so it'll hit my tongue. I'm tormented by this flame. I said, I can't. The rich man said, tell Lazarus to, 
to go. Uh, let, let, let somebody come back from the dead and, and, and let them share. Don't ever come to this place. Don't come to this place. Don't be separated by God. Abraham says, no. They're not going to believe someone from the dead. They don't even believe the preachers. Oh, dear friend, please hear my heart here. The heart's desire of God is that you'd be saved. Jesus has revealed himself and said that whosoever will can be saved. They can come to Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, as Pastor Lee comes with a hymn of invitation. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. I want to give you that opportunity today. Dear friend, I hope you understand that the message today was by faith. You were saved by faith. Paul communicates what that looks like in Romans chapter 10. We'll look at it next week. As Paul very methodically testifies to the fact that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, that belief system is faith. You say, that's something I'd like to do today, Pastor. I, I want to get this settled. And from your heart to God, right where you're sitting today, in a spirit of prayer, would you say this to the Lord Jesus? Would you say, Lord Jesus... I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I repent of my sins. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. By faith, I believe. In Jesus' name. Amen.